Thank you for listening to the teaching podcast of Muncie First Church. If you would like to know more about us, go to MuncieFirstChurch.com. Or if you would like to support a ministry, go to the giving page, MuncieFirstChurch.com slash give. Well, let's jump into the teaching from this last week. Take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 12, and we're going to look at that in just a minute. And uh, next week, we will start a new series. It's called Resurrection. It's just going to be stories of resurrection. And we're kind of warmed up on that today with the music. And man, that was great music. I love, I love that music today. It was just powerful. And uh, so we'll be looking at uh, resurrection starting next Sunday, and uh, be just stories of resurrection, and really looking forward to that. Luke chapter 12 is where I told you to go, and so just keep your finger there and keep it open and get ready, and I'll come to that in a minute. Calvin Coolidge was the 30th president of the United States, and he said this. He said that no person was ever honored for what they received. Honor has been the reward for what is given. And I really truly believe that's true. Uh, When you think about generous people, uh, I want to ask you a question. When you think about generous people, who comes to your mind? Who are some of the things that people that come to your mind when you think of generous people? Um, one of them from old uh, that was very generous was a man named Andrew Carnegie. Um, you know, a lot of libraries and a lot of things that, that he did with the money that he made. He accumulated a, a, a huge fortune, but he gave away a lot of money. Um, in today's world, there's also some very rich who are extremely generous. Uh, I think of Bill Gates. And while you may not agree with him on everything that he stands for, he gives away a ton of money. I mean, he just constantly is giving to schools and to, uh, to things, uh, nonprofits and, and different things. He gives away a lot of resources and a lot of money. He and his wife are very, very much uh, into that. Each one of these and others have literally given, given away millions of dollars. And, and oftentimes when we think of generosity... These are the kind of things that come to our mind, those who give the most money. But I want to tell you about another giver this morning, someone who you've probably heard of before. They made a movie out of her life and out of this story that I'm going to tell. But they're a different kind of giver. They're different than just, I give away millions of dollars. It's much different than that. Because the reality is, is Andrew Carnegie gave away millions and millions of dollars, but he still had millions and millions of dollars left to live on. And I can tell you right now, Bill Gates still is not hurting. He's fine. So he can give away a lot more before he ever starts to feel any kind of pain. But this is something a lot different. This is a different kind of giver. And you've probably heard about her. Uh, like I said, but let me remind you of the story. Her name is Elizabeth Elliot, and you probably heard her. The Tip of the Spear was the movie that came out years ago, and, and we heard that story. In the early 1950s, uh, Elizabeth was accompanying a group of missionaries to Ecuador with the hope of reaching the Cachua Indians down in Ecuador. Among the group she traveled with was a young man named Jim and Jim Elliott, who'd been trying to court Elizabeth for some time. And and they began to work together while they were down there to reach this Indian tribe. And while they were there, they fell in love and decided to get married. They were married for about two years. Had a little daughter, her name was Valerie, and uh, everything was moving along. Jim and four other missionaries that were down there, though, began to feel a pull on their heart to try to reach out to another small group of Indians living in the area called the Achua. And these people had a fierce reputation. In fact, the only other time this group has ever been recorded in history was when in the 1600s, a group tried to go into that tribe and and minister to them. And in the process of doing that, one of the priests who was doing that was killed by one of them. 
So they had reportedly attacked every outsider that ever came in. And it was a very fierce tribe. And so people stayed away. Even the other Indian tribes there avoided them because of their brutality. But Jim Elliott and the other four men who decided to try to contact these Indians knew they were putting themselves in grave danger, but they, but they were compelled to do it. They felt God's hand upon them. This is something he asked them to do. So you can't say no. God's telling them to do it. And they loved God, so they said yes, and they went. And they gave their lives. They decided to try to reach them. For several weeks prior to that, a missionary pilot flew overhead and, and did a bucket drop. He put a, a bucket on a long rope and dropped it down with stuff inside of it and would fly circles so the bucket would be stationary. And they would take things out of there, trying to reach them, trying to connect to them, trying to tell them, hey, you know, we're friendly. We're trying to bring good to you. We're not going to harm you. And so they, they tried to do that. And a few weeks later, Jim and the four men landed with the pilot on a small stretch of beach on the river and set up camp. And they made contact with these three Acuan Indians. Uh, it was a man and two women who seemed friendly and receptive. In the following days, they met several more of the tribe, and they told their wives by the radio in the airplane that they seemed to be making significant progress and were being well-received. But a few days later, the radio transmission stopped and the men didn't report anymore. The wives waited on the report, waited to hear what was going on, and they never heard. Finally, a search party was sent out to look for them, and they reported back the bad news that all five of these men were found slashed to death by the spears of this tribe. Most people in that situation, including myself, I think, would probably have said, hey, you know, I've lost my spouse. I've given everything I've got. I can't give anymore, and would probably have gone on home. And who would have blamed Elizabeth if she would have chosen to do that? She had sacrificed and sacrificed and sacrificed and been so generous with her life. But that wasn't her way. She had a truly generous spirit. And so despite her horrible loss, she wanted to keep moving forward in helping the people in the tribes of Ecuador. So she stayed and she served the, the tribe that she had gone to serve with whom she was living. Other mission groups continued to try to make contact with the Akuans. And two years after Jim's death, another group finally succeeded and began to minister to them. And they finally contacted Elizabeth and told her that it felt safe, and she went to the village. She went to love them. She went to forgive them, to serve them. And she did just that. She stayed in that tribe, and she served those who had killed her husband for years. And many of them accepted Jesus, including two of the seven men who admittedly had killed her husband and the other four years before. What a story. It's an extreme example of generosity. She poured out her life for others, for the sake of Jesus. Sacrifice, giving of herself, giving her life away. Nothing stands out in stark contrast to our selfish, self-centered world as much as an example of this kind of generosity. It's just unbelievable. It's like black and white difference. I want to talk about generosity for a little while this morning. Because generosity isn't an occasional gift. We're not being generous when we're obligated, like at our spouse's birthday. That's not generous when you buy your wife a gift, guys. That's, that's expected. That's different. Christmas is not really being generous when we give presents on occasion. Generosity comes from what's going on in a person's heart. Generosity is more than just giving money. Generosity is birthed in our hearts by our relationship to Jesus Christ. 
I got to tell you something. God has been so generous with us. Do you realize how generous God is to you today? Do you realize that God loved the world so much that he gave his only son, Jesus Christ, for our sins? He gave his son for us. I have sons. I'm not giving you my sons. Okay? When I read, I have a friend whose son was killed in Afghanistan. And when I read those stories of the parent who gave their sons or their daughters and that kind of sacrifice, my heart hurts for them. God gave his son. Generosity is so important to us because it reflects, it's a reflection of the Father. When we are being generous, we are living like the Father. We are acting like the Father. We're doing what the Father would do. When we're generous, we're being like the one who gave his son to earth. Generosity is often the giving of time. It's the giving of talent, of money, of possessions, and family, and yes, yes, even your life. Truly generous people never, never just gather. They never accumulate things just for themselves. In other words, they don't just get and get and get. They gather things so that they have to give it away. The whole idea behind generosity is gathering in so that I can give it out, so that I can pass it on to others. Look with me in Luke chapter 12, verse 13. The setting for this is Jesus is ministering to the 12 uh, disciples and some others, and a man comes up to him, and, and he asks him to act as an arbiter between him and his brother. The mother and father evidently had passed away. They had reached that point where all the past money, the, the riches that had been accumulated, it was time to divide them up amongst the, him and his brother. The estate was due to be settled. There's some money involved. And the man says to Jesus, I want you to act as the arbiter to, to make sure that it's divided equally between me and my brother. Make sure that he doesn't take advantage. Make sure that he doesn't get more. Now, this is not an unusual request uh, for someone to ask a rabbi to do this. This is one of the jobs that rabbis did. They were wise and they were, they were considered uh, to be above reproach. And so when a, a, a person had a problem between them and a, a brother or sister or someone, they would go to them and let's settle this problem. What's your wisdom? Teach us. Show us what to do. So this is not an unusual request. The man is concerned he's going to get his fair share. He wants to make sure. And there's in this story a sense of, dis of uh, discontentedness uh, on the man's part with what he has. He knows that he has plenty. He knows that there's some coming. But he has a chance here to get more. And so he wants to make sure that it's done fairly. He wants his fair share. The situation really shows us that this man was more concerned with money than he was with caring for his brother. He was really not worried about his brother. He was worried about getting the money that was coming to him. And so what you see here is a sense of greed involved. There's a sense of, of greed. Now, the word for greed in Greek is uh, pleonexia. Pleonexia. Its root is actually pleonazo, which means abundance. It's kind of an interesting thing. So pleonexia, with that ending, means greed, in Greek means greed. The root is abundance. 
Pleonazo, when given the other, another ending, which is pleokito, means to take advantage of. So it evolves to pleonexia, which means greed. So in other words, we start off with an abundance, we take advantage of others, we move into a place of greed. It's very close to each other. Abundance, greed, taking advantage, it's all working in there together. It evolves to that. We find ourselves with an abundance, but often that's not enough. We want more. We want more. I don't know too many of us in this room right now who don't have all we need. We got food. Uh, we got a shelter. We got a, a decent vehicle to get around. Clothing to wear. I'm looking around here. Everybody's dressed. That's good. We're glad to hear that. Yeah, it's a good thing. But the reality is, is that we want more. Very few people sitting in this room are satisfied. We have a desire for more. We, we have an abundance even. Most of us, how many of you have more clothes in your closet than you're wearing today? Yeah, man, I got way more. There's clothes I probably haven't worn in a while. There was a time when you wore all the clothes that you owned on your back. How many of you have more than one pair of shoes? few of you. Some of you don't, evidently. I, I got doubting that. You know, just don't want to raise your hand. You're tired, I guess. My arm hurts. I can't raise it. Um, you know, the reality is, is that we have more than one pair of shoes. There was a day when one pair of shoes was considered normal. So we have an abundance because anything more than what I'm wearing is an abundance. But we want more. That's why Kohl's is in business. Because you want more, and they give away coal bucks. And I mean, if they've already given you those, you've got to go spend that. Of course, you've got to add $10 to it. They have such a racket going, man. I'll tell you, they are, they are good. They've got it figured out. They really do. But we find ourselves with abundance, but it's not enough. And, and if we're not careful, we want more, and we take advantage of others. We become greedy. Now, I'm not telling you if you want a new pair of slacks or a new blouse to wear or pants or whatever that you're greedy that's not what i'm saying here but i'm saying it can turn into greed it can turn into greed jesus talks to this young man who comes to him and asks him to help him out here and he says to him take heed this is verse 15 take heed and beware of covetousness or greed that's what that word means for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses Think that through a little bit. Listen to those words that Jesus said. These are not my words. These are the words of Jesus Christ. Take heed and beware of covetousness or greed, for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the thing he possesses. What Jesus is really saying here is it's a warning to this young man about his attitude. He's warning him about his desires. He's warning him about his motives and about his focus. And Jesus is really just saying to him, you need to be really careful here, young man, because your heart is starting to focus on the wrong things. Your heart's looking at the wrong things. It's starting to zero in on the stuff. You're focusing on things. Your heart's becoming dissatisfied. When we begin to look at stuff, our heart gets dissatisfied. You ever notice that? I'm going along, I'm feeling good, man, life's good. I got a nice car. And then Brooke goes and buys a new Jeep. And now my car is not as nice as Brooke's. And man, I'm all upset because she got a nice new Jeep. And I got to have a new Jeep. I mean, come on now. That's not fair. You know, and, and we become dissatisfied. My son, last year this time, 
decided he was going to start riding motorcycles. He had taken the riding test, and he got, a, he got kind of got bit by the bug. He had always told me he wasn't going to do it. It's too dangerous. That's scary. I'm not going to do it. And then he took the riding test as, a, uh, as an advertisement, an online, uh, an on-air thing that he did with his radio station. And he rode and, and his big advertisement for Harley-Davidson. And so he gets done. He goes, Dad, I think I'm going to buy a motorcycle. Okay, so he's going to buy a motorcycle. So he bought him a motorcycle. He, got a, he, he bought him a, a really nice, it's a Suzuki uh, 800cc bike. It's all the bike he needs. It's a great bike, and it's perfect starter bike, and he's all excited. And he said, he told me that. He goes, man, that's the best bike. I'm, I, I don't see myself ever needing another bike. Great. It's awesome. Well, yesterday, he's texting me, you know, I found this really cool motorcycle. It's only $4,000, and it's like, you know, this, it's called a Stratoliner. It's Yamaha, and it's, it's like a, a, a 1,900cc bike, you know. I mean, he's got, I'm just going to shake my head, you know. You, know, you got your eyes on the wrong things. He's become dissatisfied. His bike's not good enough anymore. See, you have enough and even abundance, but you still want more. Your focus is on the stuff, not on the person. And life isn't about having lots of stuff. And that's what we got to get in our heads here today. It's not really about having lots of stuff. Here's, I'm going to give you the secret to life. Here's, here's, a, here's very important. Life is about the people around us. Stop and think about it. I, I read somebody's post on Facebook this morning. He said, I'm getting off Facebook. I hate people anyway. <laughs> wow, that hurt. I mean, I'm, I was like, wow. <laughs> and I felt bad for him because life is about the people around you. That's where, where it's at here. There, this is a problem going on right now in our world. A whole lot of people have made life about accumulating things. We should hear some amens here. And, and, and some, there's some conviction coming on in my life. We've made life about getting stuff and making sure I get treated fairly or getting more stuff. And the reality is, is that we spend very little or almost no time focused on others and the care for others' needs. And I'm not talking about just your family, because, you know, I know most of the people in this church, you will do whatever it takes to love your family. But I'm talking about moving outside of that. People you don't even know. People that you don't even maybe care about who have needs. Jesus sees this as so important that he goes on and tells the young man a story. And that story is one that we know pretty well. You find it starting in verse 16 of chapter 12. It's the story of the rich fool. The man has this great farm, and he's got great barns, and he's got everything, and he plants, and he has an abundant harvest that year, so much that he doesn't know what he's going to do with it. And so instead of saying, you know what, there's people I can help take care of, there's things I can do with the abundance to try to bless others, I'm going to tear down my barns, I'm going to build bigger barns, and I'm going to accumulate more stuff. And then I'll have more than enough, and I can live comfortably, and I can do whatever I want to do, and it'll be all about me. That whole story is a self-focused story on what I want, what I've got, and what I'm going to keep for me. And Jesus comes along in this story, and he stops after he tells it, and he asks this very poignant question, and it's this, at the end when you die, when life is over here on earth, then the things that you have saved and worked your whole life for, whose will they be? That's such a good question. Jesus was so good at asking questions. You know, I, I'm so glad that he's not around to ask me questions. They, they just penetrate me. I'm just sitting there going, oh man, you know. And that's what this young man did. It just went right to his heart. 
when you die, when life of earth here is over, and it's going to be over for all of us. I mean, we're not any of us here going to live forever on earth. And when life here is over, the things that you've saved and worked your whole life for, whose will they be? So we all need to deal with this question. And I, some of you are saying right now, well, I'm going to pass my stuff on to my kids. I already wrote my will. It's all taken care of. That's fine. Not a bad thing to leave your kids an inheritance. The Bible talks about that. It's a good thing. But the reality is this, that most people who get an inheritance have no idea of the value of it. They don't understand. Let me explain that one to you too. They have little or no understanding of it because they don't grasp that you poured out your entire life to acquire this wealth. For them, it came in a check in the mail at the end of your life. And it was no big deal. And so it's easy to spend and to buy the stuff that they want just to buy their own toys. So Jesus is really asking this question. Listen to me carefully. Is the stuff you've accumulated worth all the hard work and the sacrifices you've made during this life? That's something you need to think about right now. You can ignore me if you want to today. And some of you probably are. And saying he's talking about money and I don't listen when he talks about money. You know, because I've had some of you tell me that. So I know that's true. But the reality is this. The reality is this. You need to think about that. Is the stuff that you have accumulated worth the hard work, the sacrifices you've made during this life? Because this is the only life you get, right? You realize that, right? You're not coming back. You're not going to be young again. Look in the mirror today. It's as good as it gets. Tomorrow will be a little older. That's how it works. See, my dad was raised during the Great Depression. And so for him, they never had enough. They never had enough. I mean, his wardrobe was what he had on. You know, when his mom washed him, he didn't have anything on. I mean, that's how it worked. And he was always afraid that he was not going to have enough. He worked for 47 years of his life at General Motors. For 47 years, he got up and went in every day and worked his brains out at GM. He saved almost everything he ever made. During my years in junior high and high school, my dad worked double shifts five days a week. That means he went into work and worked 16 hours a day straight through. And most of the time, he worked six days a week. He worked on Saturdays, too. I rarely saw my dad during those days. And when I did see him, he was mad at me. He was always mad because he was tired and he was sick of working and he was grouchy. Man, he was grouchy. My mom was a school teacher. She had a good income. He had a great income. They both drove old cars. I mean, the worst old cars you ever saw. Barely keep them running. They lived in a beat up old house. We never, ever in my entire life went on a vacation. Never happened while I was at home with my family. When my dad died, he had accumulated a bunch of money. A bunch of money. He was still living in fear that he was going to run out of money. He used to tell me, I don't want to spy that. I'd say, why not? Well, I said, don't know. I don't want to run out of money. I looked in his checkbook. I'm serious, and I'm only going to tell you this because it's so, it gives you the idea. He had over $100,000 in his checkbook. And he was afraid of running out of money. Okay? Still living in fear. Still living in a beat-up old house. 
Did buy him a new truck. Thank God for that. They still never went anywhere. And then he died. And then he died. And all this stuff was left behind. And I know that because I finished up his business on earth. I was his executor of his will. And I had to clean up after him. And I had to divide up everything that he had. And all of his money and all of his stuff were divided among his kids. And now he's in eternity in the hands of God. And all that is remaining of my dad on earth is the things he did for God in the kingdom, period. That's it. Everything else is just gone. It's like he didn't exist. And I, for one, would rather have had his attention and love than the money at the end when he died. I'll be honest with you. I would give him everything that I got back for him to come here one day and to be a normal man that could sit and have a conversation with me and to hear him say, I love you, and put his arms around me and hug me. And it never happened. So I asked the question again, is the stuff you are and have accumulated worth the hard work and the sacrifices you are and, having, and have made during your life? Is it worth it? Because real wealth is only what you get to keep forever. All the rest of it is just stuff. And anything that is left here is not real wealth. I'm going to tell you that. You can leave a billion dollars here, and it's not real. No, because you can't keep it. Now, I don't want you to think that I'm saying it's wrong to have stuff here on earth, because that is not what I'm saying. If you think that, then you have not ever listened to me over all the years of preaching on money that I have done, and I've done enough of it that you should know. I don't believe that way. In fact, I actually think that being prosperous is a blessing of God, that God prospers people, and that God wants you to have. I don't think there's anything against that at all. But, what, it, but it's what you do, what you and I do with the blessings that God gives us that matters. It's what are you doing with it? It's the attitude you take towards stuff. See, here's the deal. If God really blessed us with it, we have to ask this question. Is it really ours? I mean, if God gave it to us, is it really ours? Or if God has given it to us, is it really His and He's trusting us to be stewards of it and to take care of it and to use it in such a way to bless other people so that He can be glorified and honored and made famous in the world that we live in? See, the attitude towards stuff makes all the difference in the world. Going on, Luke chapter 12, he goes down in verse 22, and I'm going to read this part for you. He said this, he said to his disciples, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you eat, nor about the body, what you will put on. See, life is more than food, and the body is way more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn, and God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature, and if you're not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? And consider the lilies, how they grow, they neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If then God so clothes the grass, which today is in the field and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, O you of little faith? And do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, or, nor have an anxious mind. For all these things the nations of the world seek after, and your Father knows that you need these things. But seek the kingdom of God, 
and all these things will be added to you. Do not fear, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Sell what you have. Give alms. Provide yourselves money bags which do not grow old. A treasure in the heavens that does not fail where no thief approaches nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And in this verse, in these scriptures, Jesus gives us the attitudes we need to have to live and enjoy and succeed in the world. So I've told you about what we aren't supposed to do. Now let me give you a little bit of what we do need to do. First of all, he says, don't worry. You know, worry is so useless to us. I hope you understand that. Worry is an assumption that you're in charge of your own life. You're not. You know, you feel like it for a short time, but it's only a short time. You really don't get to be in charge of your life. It's, it's an assumption that I'm self-sufficient. If I'm self-sufficient, if I'm in charge, then I should strive and worry because life is hard and trying to eke a living out of the earth is a gamble and I have no one to help and it's all on me. And so my attitude should be take advantage, keep what I get, hold on to everything tightly. This is all there is, and I have to hang on. In reality, so many people live their lives that way, hanging on, trying to hang on to it. I'm not letting go. I'm, it's mine. And, and they do that even though they say they really believe in God, but the reality is, is our actions say we really don't believe in God. Our generosity or our lack of generosity proves what we believe. Uh, these people who hang on to everything, they're greedy because greed always assumes there's only so much. Their, their pie circle, you know, is, is like there's only so much. And if I give up all the pieces of the pie, then I won't have anything. And, and you know, I don't believe that. Uh, they're glass half empty people. I, I think that, that God provides and it's unlimited, his supply. Uh, that's what I believe. I think you can be filthy rich and be greedy, and you can be dirt poor and be greedy. <laughs> John Rockefeller was a billionaire several times over. The estimation on his amount that he made in his lifetime in today's world would put him at four times more rich than Bill Gates. Richest man in the world by far. That's a lot of money. Four times. Something like 60, 80 billion. I mean, I can't even wrap my mind around that kind of numbers. They're so big. And he was never satisfied. They asked him one time, how much is too much? How much, will, how will you know when you have enough? And he said, just give me one more dollar. Just give me one more dollar. And then he died. And he left it all here. Greed drove him. Jesus said, don't worry. We work for a living, we should be good stewards of all we're blessed with, but we live in the certain hope and the trust that God is able to supply all of our needs according to His riches, and we need to live like that. That should be the way we live our lives. That means it isn't ever going to run out. That He's more than enough. That He's more than enough. That He will be more than enough. That even in eternity we'll have more than enough. That He will supply our needs according to His riches. I don't know what that looks like yet. I haven't been into eternity, but I know that it is way beyond anything that I can begin to comprehend. The second thing is this. The second attitude we need to do, we need to live and enjoy what God has given to us is to seek the right things. There's nothing wrong with seeking. We're made to seek. God gave us this desire to seek, but we are seek the right things. We're seeking the wrong things. Don't seek for the world stuff. Seek for kingdom things. Here's the deal. Make life about loving and serving God. 
You know what? Right now we make our lives about earning a living. I got to do this. I get, you know, people say to me, I can't come to church because I got to work. Okay, maybe. People say to me, I can't come to church because kids have games. Maybe. I can't come to church because there's always that. And, and church is not God. It's not the kingdom. I get that. It's part of it, but it's not all of it. But, but we're seeking and putting everything else first. And then, oh yeah, if I have time, I'll add God to that pile. I know you'd like this preaching. Amen. I hear it. But I don't care. I'm just telling you how I'm believing in what I see in the Bible and what the truth is. Make life about loving and serving God and then make life about loving people. It's about that. You know, life is not about getting a bigger car or a better house or, or whatever. Life is about loving people. Not just your family, but all people. Jesus said, love each other as I have loved you. He gave himself for us. And then he says, that's what I want you to do. Give yourself for everyone else. Trust God to provide. Know that he's enough. And then spend all of our time seeking for the kingdom things. Don't neglect the things of the kingdom. We, we do that. We neglect worship. We neglect God himself. Uh, you know, I mean, very few people I know will get up and say, I mean, if I have to be 10 minutes late to work, I have to be 10 minutes late to work, but i got to tell God I love him first. Now, I'm not telling you to be 10 minutes late to work. Just get up earlier. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> but you need to seek God. Yeah, you need to seek God. You know, we neglect God. We neglect people. You know, how many of us are really caring about anyone else? We drive down the road. I mean, you know, we're isolating. You know, put up a bigger fence. That way you don't have to look at them. That's how we live our lives these days. You know, I think we ought to tear down some fences and open up some backyards and get a porch and invite people on it and sit and drink lemonade and care about them, love on them. Kingdom things last. Worldly things don't. Everything you got right now is going to get stuck stuck right here when you go through the portal to heaven it won't go through saw a guy the other day a picture of a guy he died and he wanted to be buried with his harley davidson because somehow he thinks i guess that's taking it with him so they had a big old coffin made the harley's standing up in it and he's sitting on top of it dead and they dropped the whole thing in the ground what a waste you know if i'd have been his kids i went and found a frame I made it look like that one, but I kept the Harley, you know? I mean, come on. That's nuts. But it's going to get stuck. He's not going to heaven with that. That motorcycle is not going to be in heaven. Worldly things don't last. Jesus taught us. Seek the kingdom things. Trust him for the rest. Our activity and energy need to be focused on kingdom things, kingdom things, kingdom things. That should be our whole driving force. Kingdom, kingdom, kingdom. The kingdom of God is now. Live in it. Third thing is don't fear. Fear happens because you allow the having of money and possessions to control you. And when they control you, you fear loss because if you lose them, you lose you. You fear someone else getting what you want. Owning things is an obsession in our culture. And if we own it, we believe we control it and we possess it. And possessions define our worth. Look how much money she has. Wow, she's really important. Look how much he doesn't have, well, you know, he's a nice guy, but I mean, you know, I don't have time for him. If we own it, it brings us pleasure. But all that's an illusion. 
Because here's the deal, stuff ends up owning us. You ever notice that, how your stuff creeps up on you and grabs you, and next thing you know, you're being owned by it? You don't believe me? It takes a lot of the work to hang on to your stuff. How many of you, I know this because I did it last year about this time, how many of you ever put a roof on a house? It's because it owns you. You don't have a choice. If you don't put a roof on the house, what's going to happen? It's going to rain in there. It's going to ruin it. Got to do it. How many of you enjoyed spending that money, put that roof on that house? Anybody? <laughs> you know, it, it, it's a, it, it just, oh, it, it owns you. It owns you. My house owns me, man. I spend more money on that than I did on me last year. Trust me. That house gets more money than I get and a lot more time. And, and how many of you, have ever had a job or circumstances where you lost sleep and you laid awake at night and you worried because it owns you. It owns you. When you worry, it owns you. And I'm standing here. This is me. I'm both hands on that one. Because we fear losing everything. Because our lives are built around stuff. And Jesus said, don't do that. He said, seek the kingdom. Seek the kingdom. Seek his righteousness. Seek his righteousness. That means seek to be like him. Seek out being like him. Let the Holy Spirit fill you so that you can become like him. Seek his righteousness and he will add in everything else you need. That isn't a sort of promise. That's an all the way in promise. Seek the kingdom. Seek his righteousness and he'll give us everything else. He understood the hold that possessions can get over us. And so he offered himself and said, trust me, hold on to things loosely. Hold on to things loosely. Jesus is all sufficient, and it's a much better way to live. Finally, our heart and our treasure, they always hang out together. You know that, right? Jesus said, wherever your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. And if money and possessions become your goal and your passion, then that's where your heart's going to reside. I know people who get up and the first thing they do is check the stock market because they got so much money tied up in that, and their whole life is on that phone right there, and they're just... And it's like, oh no, it went down 10 points. I'm miserable. I went up five points. Oh man. You know, and they live. They bounce off of that. I've been around those people. It's, it's a pretty miserable way to live. Others, all they ever talk about is what, they're suppo- what was supposed to be their hobby. Hobbies are a good thing. I like hobbies. I got way too many of them, but I like hobbies. Hobbies are good. But the thing is, hobbies end up owning us because that becomes something we grab a hold of and say, well, I'm going to I'm going to make that happen, and I'm going to live in that because that brings me pleasure. And so if we're not careful, all we talk about is our fishing or our hunting or motorcycles and golf and knitting and children or whatever else. See, whatever we're passionate about is what we think about. It's what we talk about, right? Whatever you're passionate about is where your treasure is, and that's where your heart is. Jesus said, make life about me, seek first the kingdom of God. So let's do real quickly just a little heart checkup before we end this. What do you, what do you spend your time thinking about? I'm serious right now. I want you to ask yourself that question. What do you spend your time thinking about? Money, your 401k, retirement, next vacation, your kids, basketball, School, golf, fishing, shooting, knitting, I don't know, whatever else, gardening. I I mean, you know, all the hobbies, I'll get them all there. 
Whatever your mind, whatever your heart is focused on, that's where your treasure is. So if you're spending all your time thinking about fishing, that's where your treasure is. If you spend all your time thinking about your cat, that's where your treasure is. I don't know why you would do that, but that's where people are. Because your heart and your treasure hang out together. And it never lies. Heart and treasure are always together no matter what. And how much you want to say, no matter how much you want to say about it, you've made the kingdom, no matter how many times you want to tell me that you've made the kingdom your priority, it's not if you rarely or never talk about it. How much time do you think about the kingdom of God? I mean, I'm not asking you how much time you spend on thinking about the church. The church is part of the kingdom, but I'm asking you how much time do you give to really thinking about the kingdom of God and what that means in your life and being a kingdom agent and living out the kingdom and caring about people and being a kingdom. I mean, you, when you walk in the grocery store, do you go in and go, I've got to get this done and I hope I don't see anybody and you got your head down or do you walk in and go, okay, I'm a kingdom agent. How can I bless somebody today? How can I care about somebody today? How can I, maybe I'll get a chance to pray with somebody today. I'm talking, thinking, and living out the kingdom of God, loving others, even others who cannot and will not love you back. Jesus said this is the normal minimum requirement. So how do we refocus and get our priorities and treasures in the right place? Jesus told the rich young man in Luke 18 to give it all away and come and follow him. We talked about that last week. I believe the first thing we need to do is we need to admit that we have focused on the wrong things. If you can't do that, you can't change. You can't change what you won't admit to, Okay. And, and the reality is, is I'm pretty sure that most of us in here, including myself, can say, you know what, I don't give near enough time to the kingdom. I need to refocus my priorities. Secondly, we need to start giving it all away. I had you right till there, didn't I? Now you're, oh, can't do that. And that's what the rich young man said, I can't do that. And he walked away sorrowfully. And Jesus was sad. Because he knew that that was the blessing the man would have if he gave it all away. I don't care how old you are, there's still time to lay up treasure in heaven. But you have to break the ties with the earth and with your stuff. The only way to maintain and practice an attitude of generosity is make it a habit to give. Give your time. Give your talents. Give your money. Give your resources. Give your life away. Jesus, uh, Richard Foster said this. Richard Foster uh, wrote book, uh, Dare to, uh, not Dare to Discipline, Disciplines of the Heart or something like that. It's uh, books on, on, uh, on, it was books on, on, on spiritual formation. And he said this, he said, just the very act of letting go of money or some other treasure does something within you. And here's what he says it does. It, destroy, it destroys the demon of greed. You know, I, I believe it is demonic. Greed is demonic. And Satan uses greed to hold us in bondage. He's holding us captive of all of our stuff, by all of our stuff. And he's, he's hoping you'll buy more. He wants you to just keep accumulating and accumulating and hanging on and tying yourself up tighter. And, and Richard Foster's right. Just letting go of some money, letting go of some stuff, letting go of treasure does something within you. It destroys that demonic possession, that demonic oppression of greed it breaks it you know what i'm going to just give you a little suggestion here now you know you're going to say you're just a preacher right now and that's okay i am i'm just a preacher start with your tithe if you're not tithing tithe and you go oh 
roll your eyes, shake your head, and all those other LOLs or whatever else you got, you know, in your pocket, you know, some emojis there. Start giving your tithe. I mean, Jesus was talking to the Pharisees, the church people one day, he said, woe to you teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites, you give a tithe of your spices, mint, dill, cumin, but you've neglected the most important matters of the law, justice, mercy, faithfulness. You should have practiced tithing without neglecting the, the stuff that he's talking about here, without just, uh, rejecting, uh, neglecting justice, mercy, and faithfulness. So, so be merciful, care about the plight of others, no matter how they got there. You know what? Don't look at people and go, well, you know, they caused that themselves. They're there. So go help them. You know? You're where you're at because, you know, whatever. You know? I mean, I'm where I'm at because of stupid things that I did maybe when I was a kid, but I'm still here and I need some grace. And so does everyone else in the world. And you need grace. And you need to give grace. So care about the plight of others no matter what. Be faithful. Man, that word faithful has been lost in our generation. Be faithful. Start caring about everyone around you. Be faithful to the church. Get back in here and start tying in and get faithful again. You know, this whole idea that we can make it to heaven don't need the church, it's not true. We need it. Be faithful. Continue to tithe on everything. His point was give yourself away. Put your money, your resources to work in the kingdom. Don't just throw it around, but use it for kingdom things. People, care about them. Don't ever talk about how bad things are in our world. I don't want to hear it from anybody talking about how bad things are in our world and community if you're not giving and sacrificing. You have no right. Because you're responsible for it, just like I am. Get behind a project in this community worth getting behind and provide some of the resources. There's some great projects. And if you don't know what they are, go see Al. He can help you out with that, I promise you. There's plenty of projects in our community that need people to love and care for them and, and, and support them. Get behind them. Give of your time. Mentor someone else. Serve in a ministry. Right now, there's kids, there's people that need mentoring, young women, young men. There's people who need mentoring in our world Break off the spirit of greed and selfishness. Be done with it. Make this your passion. The kingdom of God is not someday. Kingdom of God is not in heaven. Kingdom of God is now. And remember this, all that is not given away is lost to eternity. So where's your treasure? What is your heart telling you this morning? We just took that heart exam. What is your heart telling you? Where are you spending all your time and your thoughts at? If it's not on the kingdom, then you're not got your pri- you don't have your priorities right because Jesus said, seek the kingdom first. Generosity begins in your heart. It doesn't begin by actually opening up your wallet. It begins in your heart. You have to decide in your heart, I'm going to do what Jesus wants me to do. Now here's the deal. You're not obligated to give anything, ever. Like everything else, you have the freedom to hoard all that God gives to you. You can put it in big barns. You can tear down those barns and build bigger barns. But God has given us an opportunity and a privilege and a place to join Him in making the kingdom real here on earth. Cannot keep sowing the seed of greed and expecting anything but greed to grow. Sow greed, reap greed. You always reap what you sow. Sow greed, reap greed. Sow love, reap love. Give, break the demon of greed, live a truly wealthy life. Wealth, generosity equals happiness, power, and real influence in this world.
So be honest. Where are you at today? Are you sowing to generosity or are you sowing to greed? Stand with me. We're going to sing, I think, and we're going to be done. If you want to pray, you're welcome to come. It's not really a pray sermon. It's more of a open your wallet and start giving sermon. And if you want to do that, Matt's at the back. He'll take all you can get. You'll give it to the church though, right, Matt? Okay. And, uh, but find a place. Let's be generous. Let me pray while he tunes. Father, right now, we thank you for what you're doing. We thank you for what you have said to us today. I I thank you for this whole series of messages and how you've spoken to my heart. Because, Lord, I find myself at times thinking, it's okay for me to hang on to this. I I don't make that much. It'd be okay if I hang on to this. Uh, and, And you remind me that it's not mine. And I thank you for that. Lord, make me a generous man. Help me to love people more than I love myself or my money. Help me to put the kingdom first. We love you, Jesus. We praise you. We worship you. Thank you, Jesus. Lord, I pray for your people here today. And for all who will hear this sermon, online or wherever, that maybe in their hearts, you can begin to do a work. Plant a seed. Fan it into flame. Help it to grow, Lord, until something begins to happen until we become a very generous church, a generous people. I believe as we give, it'll be given to us, pressed down, shaken together and running over. That's your word. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.